Passionate, driven, enthusiastic, euphoric. This is who we are as entrepreneurs. But how we leverage these incredible attributes to dream and build businesses that scale and grow is what this podcast is all about. Hello, I'm attorneypreneur Josh Brown, and welcome to Franchise Euphoria. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Euphoria, the podcast where we are focused on providing strategy, education, and consulting to the incredible and growing franchise community. Welcome, everyone. Josh Brown here. Hope everyone is doing fan-freaking-tastic. When you buy a franchise, federal law mandates that the franchisor provide you with a franchise disclosure document, often called an FDD. This long, confusing, boring, yet highly important legal document tells you a lot about the franchise system you are considering buying. Item number two of the FDD provides a buyer with background information on the business experience of the key personnel involved with the franchise. This is important. In any type of business, leadership is everything. And as a prospective franchisee, it is critical that you know who the leaders are and where they've been. You're essentially going to invest in the processes, systems, and track record created by the franchise executives and directors. If they're not successful, you won't be successful either, and their past can say a lot about their potential. When reviewing item number two, be careful to note how many of the executives are new to the franchise or new to franchising altogether. If you're looking at a board full of rookies, then you may not be buying the type of leadership that can guide you to success. They've still got a learning curve, and you don't want to get caught in the middle of it. In addition, if any of the executives have a history that includes other franchises, look into those. There's a reason they left those other franchise businesses. Be sure it isn't because their past franchises headed south, went bankrupt, closed for business, or had other legal trouble. As you review the board and executives, also take into consideration the model of the franchise and how much franchisor involvement there will be. If the franchise system is simple, then it may not require a big executive staff. So don't don't expect more than what's reasonable. But on the flip side of that coin, if if the franchise concept is more complicated or if the units are numerous and widespread, then the franchise should have sufficient staff to handle it all. In other words, make sure that the number of hands in the kitchen coincides with the size and complexity of the franchise model. Don't be like most people and skim over this section in a haste to get to the quote unquote really important sections on fees, territories, litigation, etc. These sections are important, no doubt, but so too is the background and experiences of the people who have built and continue to manage the franchise that you may invest your life savings in. The sad truth is that many are just that, a one-man show. 
Despite the growth, despite the success, the entrepreneur turned franchisor never built a supporting team to help carry the load. So what does this mean for you, the possible buyer? Well, in part, it means you have to be very careful and dig deep before you make up your mind to purchase. I wish I could say that by the time all businesses become franchises, they have gone through the growing pains and have figured out the holy grail of business for their sector. In most cases, though, this is simply not the case. Marketing systems change and evolve. Operations and efficiencies change with time. And management is usually in flux. You should never be sold before you understand what you are buying. To understand what you are buying, you must dive deep into the business. Item number two will provide you with background on the key players, but it won't tell you how things are really run or who is really running them. It is incredibly important that you have a crystal clear understanding of your franchisor's management structure before you buy. Five questions to ask the franchisor to help get clear on this. Who is in charge of marketing, operations, and business development? Number two, when I have a question as a franchisee owner operator, who do I ask it to? Number three, who is in charge of quality control for the franchise system? Number four, who oversees the internet, social media, and digital aspects of the franchise? And number five, who do I turn to when I need help fast? The answers to these five questions will tell you a good deal about the system you are buying. For instance, if, quote unquote, if Larry is the answer to one, three, four, and five, then you know that resources are somewhat limited and Larry is probably being stretched thin, juggling a lot of balls at one time. If at Discovery Day you get the feeling that the franchisor is disorganized and things are not systemized with specific procedures set forth and in place to help franchisees, you need to find out why. After you purchase, the honeymoon period will come and go quickly. You need to know that you have the support you're paying for before you pay for it. Most buyers don't pay attention to these type of things. Don't make that mistake. If you are going to part ways with your retirement money, you need to make darn sure that you have a good reason to do it. Don't let the excitement of the opportunity blind you to how the franchise is really run. Believe me, there are many franchise brands that have many units and are still mostly one-man shows. Make sure that your one-man show has countless others behind the scenes so you know you have support when you need it. Do you have any questions about item number two or any other item from your FDD? Email josh at indiefranchiselaw.com or leave a comment on our website. Today in Blog Central, Stephanie's article explains why more women are becoming business owners. Several different women have been in the news lately for excelling in their respective fields. For example, this past weekend, Kent State kicker April Goss became the second woman in college football history to score during a regular season game by making the extra point in Kent State's 45-13 win over Delaware State. Another example of this is that of the Million Dollar Band of the University of Alabama, which for the first time in its 103-year history 
will be led by four female drum majors. One final example of note is a history that was made last month by the two women who became the first women to graduate from the U.S. Army Rangers School. All of these examples illustrate instances where women have succeeded in typically male-dominated industries and or leadership roles and have paved the way for countless other women to pursue their dreams, no matter the odds. The success of women in their respective fields is not exclusive to the examples and industries listed above. And for several women, their motivation and desire to achieve their goals has led them to careers as business and franchise owners. According to the preliminary data released by the U.S. Census Bureau from the 2012 Survey of Business Owners, 36% of all privately held businesses in the U.S. are owned by women, and women are starting businesses at a rate twice that of the national average. Although the final numbers will not be released until December of this year, The preliminary numbers indicate that more and more women are starting and owning their own businesses than ever before. What the numbers don't tell us are the reasons why more women are opting to become business owners. Starting a business comes with inherent risk, but for some women, the benefits of owning a business outweigh the challenges. Being able to make the decisions when it comes to the company's culture and mission to determine the products or services the company provides, and to set their own work schedules can be an empowering motivation for women to start a business. When it comes to franchising, owning and operating a franchise can provide the flexibility many women crave in order to maintain an adequate work-life balance while providing the support and guidance of an already established system. These aspects make franchising and entrepreneurship an attractive option for women who are looking to create their own job opportunities and are willing to put in the time and effort necessary to succeed. As always, Stephanie delivers another thought-provoking piece. Check out our other blog posts at IndieFranchiseLaw.com blog. Up next, Josh discusses one of the most important decisions you will make for your business, location. Location, location, and location. I get asked about, well, what's a, what's a great location for this franchise or where are the best franchises located? And location is such a vital part of having a successful franchise business. So I've really narrowed it down to the top four things you need to consider when picking a location. Well, to start off, the first thing that you really, really need to consider when you are selecting a location for your franchise is demographics. You have to understand the demographics of who your target market is and then match that up with the demographics of the location in which you're looking to put your franchise. It's the who, what, when, where, and why of demographics. You know, who are the people who you're trying to attract to your space? What do they do? When would they be likely to come? Where are they located? And why are they coming to your business? So if you can figure out and have a crystal clear picture of the demographics of your ideal target market, and then match that up with the demographics of a location, that is going to be absolutely vital. A lot of times what I find is people make the mistake or they short side the process where they just try to look for a busy intersection or a busy place. Well, you can have a place that gets 30,000 cars that comes by in a day, 
But if it's nobody who's going to stop in your store, who cares? It doesn't matter. So you have to match up the demographics of your target market, your target client with the right location demographics. Number two, you really need to think about your competitors. I mean, there's there's really no accident why everywhere you see a Walgreens, you see a CVS across the street. And it, it seems like nowadays they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, you see the latest Walgreens, it almost looks like a huge grocery store. And then you see a CVS that comes in across the street that's even bigger. And they're, they're really strategically going across from each other in each and every market. I'm not saying it's necessary to, to always do that, but if you're close by to your competitors, I think there's a strategic advantage there because it's easier to keep an eye on what they're doing. And let's face it, I mean, a big part of being successful in any business is understanding who your competitors are. It's like Mark Cuban likes to say that you have to operate your business as if your competitors are trying to kick your ass 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because they are. And so the best, uh, best locations are often factored in, at least in part, on how close am I to my competitors. Number three is the lease terms. I mean, at, on a very practical level, you need to understand what kind of lease you're going to have to tie into depending on a location. And in part for that, uh, part of the strategy on that front is making sure that you have good professional assistance to, to really help you through lease negotiations, because oftentimes you can negotiate quite a bit on a lease term. But you need to kind of weigh those options. You need to weigh how long you're tied into the lease, what the parameters are, you know, what sort of the cost is and how much of the... Um, uh, maintenance fees and management expenses and all the other sorts of things that go into uh, leases are going to be factored into your lease and really take the time to figure out if that's going to be an advantageous thing for your franchise. And last but certainly not least is accessibility. You really need to find a location that is accessible for people who are driving by or coming by. I mean, it sounds so commonsensical, but I remember uh, as an example here in my town, there was this phenomenal ice cream franchise that, I mean, had the premium ice cream, the best ice cream that me and my family had ever had. And most people who went there agreed that it had the best ice cream. And it was in this location right off of an intersection of two major highways. And so the traffic counts were incredibly high. The, all the other metrics were met. The problem was it was hard to physically get to the location, if that makes sense. You know, you had to, the way in which you had to navigate was it was kind of in an area where there were two sizable strip malls. And so you could visually see it very, very well from the highway. But actually getting back to the location was pretty difficult and it was really kind of a pain in the butt. I mean, you had to go an exact certain way. You had to go through uh, various parking lots to get there. And it was just kind of a mess. The long and short of it is, is that really killed them. I mean, it really took a toll on their business and making it difficult for people to go back there. So you, you really need to factor in how easy is it 
for people to get to my location. You know, you have to factor in the size of the parking lot. You have to factor in how crowded the parking lot is. I mean, I know another example is there's a really popular uh, strip mall near my office and they have quite a few restaurants in there. Well, if you go there for lunch during the week and you get there anytime after 1130, you literally can't find a place to park. Well, that's a problem. I mean, if you can't park, then you can't go to the location. So you really have to be a little bit strategic about that and have a little bit of foresight and asking uh, your potential landlord, asking the strip center that you're about to go into, you know, what sort of plans they have for the future, you know, what kind of other tenants they're looking for. Because if they're looking to bring in other tenants are going to have high volumes of traffic. That's going to play a big, important factor uh, into your location. So hopefully this helps you. Quick recap. I mean, when you're thinking about location, I know it can be very, very overwhelming. But if you, if you just think about demographics, if you think about competitors, if you think about the lease terms, and you think about the accessibility, those are really the four main things uh, that, that you need to think about. And if you can nail those, you can be pretty confident that you are in a, a good location. Hopefully this was helpful for you today. If you are in the market for a franchise, I would highly encourage you to check out my free ebook, which is what to know before you buy a franchise. You can head over to my website at indie, that's I-N-D-Y franchiselaw.com and download it there for free. And um, let me know what you think. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying the value that you're getting from this podcast, I'd also invite you to go to iTunes and uh, provide me with a rating and review. It always helps uh, for visibility on the podcast. So thank you so much for your support and uh, hope this episode was helpful to you. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice, because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode. Music.